Hello, everyone. This is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey telling the stories of leaders, founders, CEOs, and people making an impact through business investing and entrepreneurship. We take an unconventional approach that leans into thoughts and ideas not often publicly discussed. We'd love to hear from you by emailing us at thefortpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again. Hey guys, it's Chris. Welcome to another episode of The Fort. I'm pumped to have a friend of mine, Rob Gandy, the co-founder of Cello Property Group down in Austin, Texas with me today. Cello was founded in 2010 and is a privately owned commercial real estate investment and development company that focuses on developing, redeveloping, and repositioning underutilized properties throughout Texas and mainly Austin, Texas. To date, they have acquired or developed more than a million and a half square feet of Class A office, retail, and mixed-use properties. Rob, thank you for joining me today. Glad to be here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to correct my Texan friend. It's Cielo, which means sky in Spanish. I'm literally, uh, as I was saying it, not wanting to backtrack and say it differently twice. I knew I botched it the first time and I stuck with it. Uh, I love it. I'm not even going to edit that out. We're leaving it in. I, I guess CeeLo, Cello, Cello, you know, it's it's all good. And, and what does Cielo mean again? Uh, it means sky in Spanish or sky there, the heavens in Spanish. Well, let's just start with that question. How did you come up with what? that name? <laughs> it was the hardest decision we made starting the company uh, was what the hell do you call the company? And I wish I had a good story for you, but, you know, the sky's the limit or, you know, the sky's always changing like real estate as, as we've seen over the yeah. last few weeks. But uh, at the end of the day, it, it really just sounded good. Awesome. I love it. It sounds good and it gives people something to uh, to guess how guess what it means or uh, how it's pronounced. That's right. That's right. So how did uh, how did you get started uh, with Cielo? Yeah, so we um, my background, I was I was worked for investment bank in New York and then um, moved back to Texas in 2000 and um, 2007, worked with a bank in the downturn and worked, uh, kind of learned about bank workouts, which is pretty fitting for, yes. <laughs> well, I think what, what we're doing now, um, and these, you know, these banks had a lot of assets that had high basis and they couldn't take losses cause they, their capital ratios are all out of whack. And so I helped uh, focus on, you know, with a bank to help kind of move their problem assets, um, realize that other banks would, be open to kind of bank workouts to where um, I'm going to say it was kind of like a partnership with somebody who's willing to put down some equity and do this in, and kind of put sweat equity in the deal. I had a deal um, that I was a part of that Sam's club wanted to be on and some random guy who knew nothing about real estate, but knew uh, my business partner, Bobby Dillard um, introduced us and he Bobby was doing uh, retail development with direct development in Dallas at the time, kind of focused on target expansion. Uh, and I said, "Listen, I've got this Sam's deal. The city of McAllen will 
will give a chapter 380 agreement uh, incentive in order to bring Sam's to the site. The the McAllen's Sam's in South McAllen is doing fantastic. And so we we did the first chapter 380 agreement, um, which is basically a sales tax rebate that we then turned around and gave to the sit the bank as our equity and and that was basically that was our first deal and that was in 2010 and we we quickly realized that in, in 10 retailers really weren't expanding as 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 uh as fast as we liked and the junior boxes weren't um weren't doing that either so we kind of switched to value kind of value add retail and one thing led to another and got into doing office and uh early on we started we focused a lot down the valley where i'm from um it was just a lot easier to buy things down there and um retailers do phenomenal uh, from the cross-border uh traffic yep um but you know then started focus on in austin and and for the most part uh, over the last seven years we've we've focused primarily in austin we own some stuff in dallas and we do build the suits we've got a single tenant triple net business that we do build the suits across the country so that's it's kind of a different you know you got kind of large mixed use uh, urban core development and and single tenant stuff across the country so is the single tenant stuff like your 7-elevens dollar general starbucks Exactly. We've got, I think we've got four 7-Elevens going on right now. We did a, we did a, just did a, a Walgreens, their new concept. I think it was the first one in the country for, um, it's basically the size of a Starbucks um, in Indianapolis. But, you know, anywhere from, we've done Starbucks to when the chicken guys were hot, raising canes and some of those concepts. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's been good. Just on that that chapter three eighty deal that you did with Sam's, was that a distressed deal that somebody I guess had owned either the building or the land before and was defaulting on the loan? Uh, That's right. Yep, there was a it was a big development, fifty acre developer, forty acre development that one of their borrowers had, and they took back. And you know, it, it it's really hard to you know when these banks lost so much capital uh, in the in two thousand and eight. They could. They just couldn't take the losses and, and write stuff off their books with and, and survive. And so a lot of them are willing to kind of work their way out of problems. Yep. And the the original owner just wasn't willing to kind of keep going. That that point, they just took it back and went and looked That's for right. somebody to partner with. Is is there actually a loss that they take? I guess they like is the 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 basis that you got in what their outstanding loan was, or did they? Yeah. Yeah, well, they ended up. No, I mean, we, we made them whole. Uh, where, uh, you know, the original owner didn't really have empty pockets, but from the retail perspective, I don't think that he was well suited to kind of, you know, <laughs> anytime you try and cut a deal with a big grill, you know, immovable object like Sam's or Walmart or, you know, HEB, these, these, these anchors, there's not, you know, there, it's a pretty tough, uh, tough go at yep. it you got to have some real, you know, experience and patience and know all the tricks, um, in order to get through those deals. And so it was a, it was a great learning experience. I think, you know, what, what we saw in the downturn, uh, from 08 to, you know, 2010 
was that if you weren't dealing with, you know, legacy problems and had had problems of your own and you could start a company in 2010 uh, with a clean slate, uh, it, it really freed up your time to focus on new opportunities. Yep. And, and, you know, like we're, we're dealing with now, you know, obviously if you're in real estate, you've got anywhere from multifamily renters to big credit corporations that can't pay or don't want to pay or, you know, some take advantage, some, some, some not, but, um, that consumes a lot of time. And so the beauty about back then was we, you know, we, we weren't consumed with a lot of problems. And so we could kind of be creative and think about how, you know, how, how do you, how do you start a real estate company without any money? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you, you've got to kind of put sweat equity and find out who can, who's got a problem that you can help fix. And they basically end up being your, your partner. What should an owner, I guess, be thinking about if they're heading to a situation where they're the current borrower and need to be, you know, know they're going to have an issue with the bank. Are there kind of best practices or things that you saw or things that if people get out ahead of it, you know, the, the pain is, is much less than, you know, not going about it the right way. Yeah, I think the, and listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert by any means, but I think what I've seen over, over, you know, the years that I was helping work stuff out was, and if you're just like honest with these people and, and, and didn't give them, didn't spring, you know, put a surprise, Hey, we, you know, tennis blown out, they're not paying, you know, but, uh, you know, you didn't tell your bank that they were already giving you signals ahead of time, yep. then, you know, they're less inclined to kind of work with you. I think if, if you really view this, especially in this environment, you know, where it, this is, we haven't seen this <laughs> definitely not in my lifetime. Um, it's you, you have to over communicate yeah. whether that's the banks or, or partners. It's not a, you know, it's not a time to kind of hide information or, or take advantage of situations. It really is. Hey, we're almost together to keep, you know, obviously equity from losing, losing money or a uh, bank losing money. Um, and I think, you know, the beauty, the thing I've seen over the last couple of weeks is we're, you know, working out our own problems is the capital, you know, banks are, are much more capitalized now uh, than they were. And they're willing to, they're willing to work it out pretty quickly. Um, and I don't know, you know, obviously the, the feds coming in and, and kind of providing some relief is, was, was pretty fast and needed, but it's a little different attitude. It sounds like from, um, you know, 10 years ago, which is, which is promising. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's the lenders we've been chatting with have been super, you know, they've just been cool about it. Uh, it's like you said, it's kind of an everybody problem right now. And so, yeah, they've been much more willing to just talk through things and, you know, at least hear what's going on and, uh, some are reacting quicker than others, but overall it's been super positive. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you really have to be. And, and, and the same thing goes with the tenants, right? Like this is not a situation that they created. And this is, I think understanding 
that this is a global, you know, this is a global problem is, has made people kind of think that they've got to, they've all got to work together. So for sure. Um, so you do the Sam's deal and you're, were you living in Austin at the time of the Sam's deal? Yep. Yep. I, uh, so went GT, then moved to New York, met my wife up there and then moved back. And so I was living in Austin and going, you know, driving four hours. I remember driving down there every week for like nine weeks straight. And it was, it was brutal. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So, and and, you know, we, we would, as, as we were doing retail down there, we bought a few more shopping centers. We developed shopping center. We ended up buying uh, three office assets uh, separately. Um, Two we still own, one we sold last month. Um, so we, you know, right now we've got about 300 and I think, or no, I guess it's a little less now. So 300,000 square feet of office in McAllen and Edinburgh. Yep. Uh, we own like the Chase Bank, big, tall, uh, 17 story building down in, uh, McAllen. So, you know, office has been down there. If you, if you own, you know, the nicer stuff, it's leasing velocity is, is pretty strong. So you get a lot of national guys that are looking to, to expand down there, or have offices, and there's not a lot of, let's say, class A Valley options. Yeah. So valley class A options. So, And you probably can't afford to, or the cost to construct, you can't really build anything new that rates can keep up with. That, that's exactly right. We bought a deal from Brookfields for, I don't know, uh, under $50 a foot. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's, it's figured out how to make deals fast and, and be flexible. And that's, you know, turned out to be a, a great deal, but it's, yeah, it's, it's really tough. To, the rents just don't justify building new, yep. especially kind of class A new down there. So, so you did the first deal where you got uh, the 380 agreement was your equity. Did you, uh, immediately start raising money from like friends and family or institutions or what became kind of your capital source moving forward? You know, it, it's, uh, the, as, as, as you start out and you don't have, you know, a bunch of, uh, money, it's, you'll take it from wherever you can get it. Yep. You know, the, the, the question was always, Hey, you know, what deals have you done? <laughs> Whether it's a lender or equity, we're like, well, you know, Bobby did the development and direct, and I was, you know, doing workouts, and so we've done these deals. They're like, no, what deals has Cielo done? So, yeah. uh, you know, we're it, again, it was it was a lot of luck and and just a lot of uh, perseverance, but we'd convince people to kind of give us money for kind of small rehab deals and we'd bid on stuff on like auction.com uh when that was you know pre-10x and you know the deal sizes pretty much doubled every year um and so for one reason or another we were able to we we were good at convincing people that you know we were honest and we we had the creativity to kind of see some some value that maybe others didn't and so we you know deal size got big quickly, um, for kind of starting from scratch. And that's really, you know, when we, when we, when we started focusing on Austin, uh, you know, we bought uh, three buildings on Congress Avenue in 2000 and it was 2013 for, 
I think it was like eight million at the time, and and ended up some somebody uh, trusted that we get something uh, done at a thirty-two million dollar cost on a, a, another building uh, up the street, and then you know went from that to turn around and selling that in the sixties, and then develop something in the hundred and fifties, and so it's. It's been uh, right, right market for sure. Uh, we're lucky to be in Texas and specifically Austin, and so that's that's obviously helped. But yeah, it's it's been it's been a ride, that's for sure. No, I I always I love chatting with you about it and talking to our friend Troy and others is the progression even from afar. And you know we've just gotten to know each other the last couple of years, but how quickly the deal sizes ramped up in your world. I've always been just, I think I was telling Johnny, the uh, producer of the podcast before this, just how quickly it went from like this to this to to boom, um, specifically talking about that third and show deal. Can you share a little bit about what was the in- original intent of when you bought that uh, site yeah. and then what ended up happening? Yeah. So um, at the time of third and show, um, we were super focused and uh, in, in kind of the term is, has been overused. I'd say we started doing it when it's a little bit earlier on, but creative office and, and really in our mind, what that is was, um, you know, kind of non high rise at, at the time we were focused on brick and timber, uh, you know, like warehousey feel you know, open, high, open floor plan, high volume space, which means high, high ceilings, you know, mezzanines in them. And so we felt like that was where the market demand was for these, a lot of these kind of tech, tech groups. Austin wasn't a poor city. And so we didn't have a lot of brick and timber buildings. Um, but we had executed on, on three buildings on third and Congress. I think we had bought the, which is now the Yeti flagship store and, totally uh gutted that um and ended up sticking yeti in there but really you know looking for spatial character austin music hall was operating uh which was a venue was the largest live music venue in in uh in downtown and got foreclosed on by a bank um a guy knew one of the guys i was operating it and we actually Met with the bank that had foreclosed on the venue, um, which also included, you know, there was a venue, the, the, the building. And they ended up getting acquired by uh, another bank who we had a, a better relationship with. Um, so they were able to give us the time to, to go in there and rework the ground lease, which was pretty jacked up into a new 99-year lease. And the plan was really, let's... You know, let's convert this. Let's close the venue. We'll operate for a year, and then let's convert it to creative office. And I think that was in fifteen, fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. As the market continued to run up, it was evident that instead of owning a three-story creative office building, tearing this thing down and and maxing out the density was was uh, more attractive. And you know, we had we never built a high rise before, but we we pretty much ran our own equity process. And I can't believe how how lucky we were, but we we had like five term sheets from you know five of the biggest 
equity providers in the country who all, you know, we're going to basically big brother uh, us on the development, which was fine because we, we didn't have the experience. And at the end of the day, we, we ended up picking uh, uh, Tierry, mm-hmm. who was going public at the time. And we picked them to be the equity partner and pretty much co-GP'd it. Uh, then, you know, they had the balance sheet that obviously we didn't have to go build a 150 plus, uh, cost deal. Um, and so that was kind of the backstory. Um, it's great to own a music venue for 12 months. Uh, That was fun. But, uh, and you know, you get, you had to be really delicate, right? With anytime you tear down something that in the live music capital of the world, when you tear down a live music venue. Yep. Uh, that's never a uh, a great thing to publicize, and I think showing people that we we were thoughtful. I mean, you know, we we actually I think still retain the name, um, but it's you know that that was that's a tough business, and so I think a lot of people saw how how the city was growing and how demand for other uses were um, so much better that they, you know, we got some we got some some uh, flack for it, but it was. At the end of the day, it's it was the right thing to do, and so we went spec, hundred uh, percent spec. How long did it take you to conceptualize the whole thing? Like the the moment you realized we need to build a high rise, how long did it take you from there to like having permits in hand, ready to go? Sure, I think we were. It's probably eighteen months yeah. after we had like a rendering um, to closing on the new joint venture with uh, Tier. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, in, in City of Austin, it's it's twelve months minimum, right? So yep. Typically, eighteen months. So we were booging, um, and you know, luckily the uh, you know, this is this is the beauty from working at home, Chris. You've got you know kiddos that walk into the room when you're on a podcast. That uh, <laughs> that's the new uh, normal. That, that that is the new normal. He's, 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 he's butt naked. Hey bud, I'll be right <laughs> with you. Okay. So anyways, that was the, uh, that was the story. You know, luckily Facebook showed up and we, uh, were able to get them for, for 60% of the building. And then Bank of America followed where one of the law firms showed up and, you know, by the time we delivered it, it was a hundred percent occupied. So that's inc- and and when you just giving some some color to the Austin market, y'all decided to do it spec because what data were you seeing that gave you comfort in building a a spec office building? You know everything that was built. You know the last four projects that were or three projects that were built, um, basically before ours delivered, started spec delivered pretty much a hundred percent least. Yep. And it just takes so long to, to get stuff. A, it takes so long to get stuff entitled, uh, to where you have a site development permit, um, in this town. And then you got, you know, to build a high rise, it's 24 months. Yep. Right. And, and so as these tech guys grow, like they can't project out longer than, you know, a year or two. And yeah. so you're really stuck with this situation where if it's going to take you three years to, to you know, start and, and, and deliver, there's not many people that can project headcounts 
that fast yep. or that, that far in the future. And so you're stuck with this decision to, to go spec. And luckily Austin's been such, so tight, you know, because we've got, you know, off, you know, office, multi hotel, you know, they all compete for these sites. And so you kind of have to go spec. Yep. <laughs> are y'all, are y'all continuing to build, uh, any more spec or continuing the business plan or was it like a one-off deal? Um, yeah, so we, let's see here. The, the, so we built Thurnshoal, the next office deal we did, which was also residential condos, kind of detached residential condo uh, building, uh, was, is called Foundry and that's, um, on fourth and Kamal on the East side, right next to Plaza Saltio train station. We had a tenant lined up for that. We were pretty pioneering over there. I mean, the 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 big Plaza Saltillo uh, development hadn't started. There was, you know, I give credit to Transwestern. They did the Arnold, um, which is multi and kind of a tilt wall office prod uh, product. But you know, there wasn't like true Class A office on yeah. the east side, and so it was. And that, and we were across the street from a. Uh, uh, affordable housing, uh, city affordable housing project, I think did not, you know, made capital pretty, pretty, uh, uh, hesitant to, to go spec, yep. uh, there The you know, I think it's a little different now, but so we started that building with, I think it was 30% pre-leased. Yep. Um, so that's, and now, you know, it's I think 94% leased all the condos are sold out really cool building. I mean, it's a lot of kind of masonry and just like when you think of creative office, you know, with this is, this is one where we're super proud of, uh, the design and the thoughtfulness with the programming and all that. But on the spec, you know, spec question phase two of, uh, of that East side project is 163,000 square foot, hundred percent spec office building that we're, we're about 30% pre-leased and we're down in the ground three floors. Yep. So for the most part, yes, yeah, spec is spec is what you've got to do uh, yep. in the city of Austin. Well, I mean, Austin is the gift that keeps giving. Uh, and I would imagine uh, there's no signs of slowing down in Austin. It seems like just record after record keeps getting broken. Uh, it's becoming the tech hub. Is there anything, anything you would see that gives you even a hint that it's being overbuilt or it's, it's still not even caught up to where it needs to be? Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, the, the, if you look at pre, uh, COVID, what was planned, yep. uh, for the city, especially specifically in the core. Yep there's a huge supply, um, being planned. And, um, that was, you know, that's very concerning from, a you know, somebody who's in the office development business, um, yeah. you know, will all those get, projects get built at that time? We were pretty confident. A lot of them won it at this point. We are, uh, you know, we definitely don't think that, you know, you half of those things are going to be built anytime in the next, unless this thing, dramatically improves. Yep. I don't see that happening. And so, you know, multi's tight, you know, the hotel hotel sector was actually doing fairly well here. Um, yep. And they'd have, they'd had some, some, some pretty big deliveries too. So 
I think it's, it'll, it'll, this, this whole thing will make people kind of reconsider their, their appetite for, for spec. You know, lately our two projects, our next two projects after the ones I just talked about, one is block 87 and the others, which is a full city block on seventh street. And then Brazos loss, which, um, we ended up closing in January. Um, it's a half city block, uh, across the street from frost tower in order to pay these crazy prices, you've got to be able to kind of max out the density on these sites. And so, which means, you know, on both those deals, you could build 800,000 square feet of something, yeah. right? That That's a big, uh, that's a big bet if you're doing just office. And so you have to be really good at mixing uses, which, you know, vertical mixed use uh, is probably the hardest thing to get financed just because it's so complicated. Um, yeah. And, you know, you got to make sure that as you're going up, that both uses are in favor. And so that was the plan on, on both those deals. And, and we felt that by mixing, you know, by having multifamily uh, as a part of Block 87, you know, we were going to do office there that that would help kind of diversify our projected income and and you know if if office leasing took a little longer to to get ramped up that you'd have multi-rents coming in to support it and so now you know will that will our business plan change as as things evolve and you know what happens to the office space in the future do people love working some home from home so much and, you know, having kids barge in <laughs> on them on, yeah. you know, anytime they want. Uh, we'll see. I, I, I do think people are kind of missing the personal connection as much as we love to be on zoom calls and, you know, do podcasts. It's, uh, there's something to say about collaborating in person for sure. And kind of, going to the office and going to the coffee shop and seeing the action and all that. I think people, people like that, but it's going to change. Yes. As, as you know, uh, coworking probably is being spun on his head right now. Yep. You know, we, we had seen kind of per square foot per person shrink and shrink and shrink in the office space. You know, will this whole, whole COVID thing reverse that? Who knows? Yeah it's all up in the air. So no, I agree with you a ton. Uh, I think people like being around each other. I saw something on Twitter the other day. It said something like half the people in the the world believe that we're heading to a remote uh, workforce where everybody works from home and the other half of people have kids. One other question on just that those two deals that you mentioned that were in the future. When you buy a deal like that, are you already buying it fully entitled or are you no. taking entitlement risk? And that's no, part of your side. You're you're taking entitlement risk. And the problem in a hot market like Austin is sellers, you know, land sellers used to give you time to go get site development permit and let you tie stuff up for, you know, a year. It's when you when you're in a hot market and and I think I mentioned this, but we're we're hyper focused in kind of the urban core, which yep. you know makes makes sites as expensive uh there as is anywhere um you know it they're not going to give you long looks yeah. um unless you're kind of pain as you go and so 
uh, you're taking that risk. Now, you know, the deals that we go and develop already have, you know, the zoning in place. And so unless you're asking for variances, you kind of know what you can do. Um, you know, there's going to be changes in the code that impact you one way or another, whether it's, you know, fees that the city charges you or, you know, things like that. So that's, that's the risk. I think what, what we look for are best, the best sites. We think the best sites will get hurt, obviously the, the least in the downturn, but also sites with optionality. So if you buy land that only works for a multi-deal for a hotel or office, you know, you're, you're really counting on that product type to make, make the deal work. Whereas, you know, the beauty about stuff in downtown is, you know, a, for the most part, unless you're right on the water where it's like a condo site or a, or a multi-site, you're really kind of, you've got some optionality there. And so the other thing we look for are just, you know, covered land sites, right? right. If, if we always plan for the worst, if, if shit hits fan, like we're witnessing now, you know, and you've got to carry the thing for five years, what, you know, how do you do it? And so, um, having income in place that can be your kind of option B or C or D, yeah, I think is, is, is helps kind of alleviate that risk of going in and taking down sites. For sure. On the single tenant triple net stuff that you do, and then you're building high rises in downtown is, uh, has the single tenant triple net stuff been something y'all have always done or something more recent? No, we partnered with a guy um, who was at another single tenant. Uh, he's at Guggenheim, um, a single tenant triple nut shop, and she's up in Dallas. Um, and so, I think we've been doing it for three or four years now. Yeah, and it's been a good, you know, it's been a, a great business. I think that's you're 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 very cap rate dependent, obviously, when you kind of build these spreads, and if markets move against you that that can kind of narrow your spread but they're they're really quick as you know we we like them because you're you're trying to sell the asset before you even finish you know that the you finish construction or whatnot so it's it's kind of a different game it's it's a it's a quick kind of in and out versus kind of these longer term development deals that yep. take forever all right well just a couple questions on uh just the last 30 days uh, to bring it home, but just as it relates to, I know in the single tenant triple net space, the only things I've heard that are still going under contract or transacting are these single tenant triple net deals, kind of sub $3 million, $4 million. Um, are you seeing any leasing or transaction activity in, in Austin uh, or is it um, everything on pause? From the single tenant side or just on or, the, kind of the no more your your downtown urban stuff yeah I think it's uh, you know we we actually we had some deals out for lease that just got uh, you know one tenant was like well I'm not you know maybe we can all work from home yeah <laughs> uh, I think you know we expect there to be a pause on the kind of the tenant side for the next 30 60 days at minimum Um I don't, you know, it just doesn't make sense for anybody to commit to anything right now. Yep. Um, unless you're under the gun to get out of your space or expand. So, um, it's, it's pretty much, uh, standstill. I would, I would assume for most of the, most of the market. Um, but it's, you know, it's got to thaw out. People have to understand, is there, 
how long how long are we in this for? And I don't think there's enough clarity right now for people to get back on the road and start thinking about expansion or or whatnot. So Yep. And then on transactions, I'm assuming anything that was already deep into the transaction might still be happening, but you're not hearing of anything kind of new moving. Yeah. I mean we've we had a deal out on the market that we had put on the market in February that um, you know, call for offers were uh, in a few weeks and that's obviously gonna, we're just gonna sit on it, um, until it kind of, you get some price pricing, um, you know, knowledge. Um, we had a deal that was, we were selling that was under contract that equity bailed. So it's, you know, I, I just don't see many people making any decision, whether it's leasing or buying here, unless they have a 1031 or see some real big distress i just it's for me i don't i don't think anybody unless you have to sell i don't think it's a smart time to take anything out right now for sure i know you have some retail certainly not asking you to answer anything that's uh private uh but just like a retailer's paying rent are you giving them concessions do you not own any retail anymore like what's kind of what are you seeing there that's the obvious uh group that's having the most trouble yeah, we own a couple shopping centers in Dallas and Austin. We manage quite a bit of retail mm-hmm. um, and more kind of high street retail in Dallas and Austin. And it's a, across the board; everybody wants concessions, and yeah. so you know that's a that's a that's a tough deal. I mean, it's it's uh, what do you do? You know how much? You know, you still have equity and debt, uh, typically. Uh, that you've got to kind of take care of. And yep. so I think tacking rent on to uh, the end or amortizing it or giving some relief that's, you know, abated is, is definitely necessary, but you also have to take care of, you know, your current obligations. And, you know, obviously I think the banks are willing to, to work. I just don't know how much, the you know your cmbs guys and and kind of your your more permanent type lenders how much flexibility they have that's going to be interesting to see so yeah it's across the board it is uh relief 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 questions so yeah i saw adidas uh had put out a blanket statement like a week or two ago that they weren't planning on paying rent kind of across the board and the backlash I've started seeing from public companies, whether they're retailers or not, that are saying that they they, they put out a letter yesterday that says we retract that we will be paying rent. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the relief needs to be for the people that actually need it, not for the people yeah. that are trying to, you know, use their leverage to take advantage of the situation. Take advantage of it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, anything you're seeing with regards to office? I know most of your office tenants are pretty well capitalized, but anything you're seeing there or just, no, it's, I mean, man, it's, it is off, you know, I, we, we have some of the smaller office guys that are asking for relief as well. I think the, the big problem, uh, especially these off downtown office owners have, you know, us included is when you, when you count on parking revenue for a big Ah. piece of your NOI, and that basically goes to, you know, zero if you have transient or the contractors, um, you know, ask for relief. I mean, that's a big, that's a big problem. So, yeah. um, 
I think that's, I don't know what's going to happen there. I mean, you know, we'll see how long it takes for people to get back to, to the office, um, you know, swing of things. But um, that's one, that's, that's one area where, you know, especially in Austin, where parking so expensive. Um, that'll hit a lot of these, you know, kind of downtown office owners pretty hard. Yep. I didn't even, I haven't even thought about the, the parking revenue. Uh, that's a really good point. Um, on the relief, can you share it all kind of how you're handling it for us? It's kind of a case by case basis. We're having tenants, uh, fill out a detailed survey and provide proof if they're a small business that they have applied for the payroll protection plan. Is there any kind of best practices of how y'all are handling uh, relief and how you're documenting it? And I think that's the exact, I mean, that's exactly what you should be doing. I mean, what the government's come out with is, is something It's not going to be, you know, everything that's needed, but at the very least, if, if it is, uh, you know, I need to pay my people and pay my rent, the first thing you should be doing is filling that out. You know, obviously as, as a landlord, you, you know, you, we need to work with them. Right. And so, um, I think it's our responsibility to, to not close the door and, um, you know, if, if somebody's taking advantage of the situation, that's one thing. And again, like we have obligations to our investors and our, our equity, our investors and our debt. And so it's, it's, you can't give everybody relief, but the very least you can listen to their case, um, do the best you can. And hopefully they'll, they'll be able to kind of get through this thing. And, um, with some of this government assistance that it should, some of that will go to rent anyways. And so, um, that should, that should help temporarily. I just, I don't think it's going to be enough. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the landlord's been put in a situation to basically be the liquidity provider for small businesses for April and May. And without any, uh, sign from the government that the landlord's going to be protected as well. Uh, at some point, we can't be the liquidity source forever. That's right. Um, what's your outlook for the remainder of this year? And is Cielo uh, going to be actively seeking, you know, opportunities that come up? Are you already looking at, you know, distressed loan deals, or how do you see the rest of the year? Um. I mean, you know, short answer is TBD. Uh, <laughs> I think the our goal here is to work through problems or potential problems early and make sure that those are, whether it's calling capital for the next, you know, couple of years to make sure that we've got, you know, enough carry and um, get that done early. Or um, if it's a change of strategy, whether it was a kind of a, Potential development. Now we're just going to sit or, you know, a sale of the asset. Now we're going to have to just refi it, get those done quickly. Um, because you can do, you know, as I said earlier, if you can deal with your problems now, it'll really free your, you know, your kind of creativity and your, your mind up to, um, you know, look at other opportunities and, um, you know, that's, that's, we, the, the beauty about, uh, ups and downs is, um, if you, if you're smart about them with your leverage and, 
you know, a lot of these things we can't control. I get it. Like, you know, who thought nobody's going to park downtown, but, um, if you can, if you can, um, take care of them early there, there's plenty of opportunities that'll present themselves, um, that we can, we can hopefully take advantage of. Yep. Do you think we're on lockdown? If you had to pick a date, when does normal activity resume? I think normal is, I think probably August is when I think Labor Day will hit and August is probably the, I think after Labor Day, people are going to be back in the office. Yep. Wow. That's what I think. But, um, I, I, I think shelter in place will last here probably through what June at the very least. Um, so then that gives you July and August to see what happens. And yeah, it could be, it could be pretty rough. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's just, it's interesting to hear your opinion. I think, uh, had you, had we been on the podcast two weeks ago and you said that I would have, I would have taken it seriously, but I wouldn't have believed in it. And then even in two weeks, uh, going forward, you know, that timeline doesn't seem as crazy as it did two weeks ago. Um, no, it's, you just gotta, you know, if everybody was very, um, took it as serious as I think they should and stayed at home and, you know, didn't kind of cheat, uh, then I think we could get bought through with it a lot quicker. But, you know, my concern is it just kind of, you've got a resurgence after you get the, the, the flattening and, um, but, Who knows? Well, uh, ho- hopefully we can get some mass testing going on to where at the very least, you know, if you had it or if you have it easier than, than what's available right now. For sure. Yep. Yep. It's com- it's coming quick because as quickly as it got bad, who knows what news we could hear next week. There could be positive news of some breakthrough. Um, I know the the stock market sure has priced that in. It's been what's going on this week in the stock market is not what's happening on Main Street. I can't imagine. I can't believe what. Yeah, the stock markets. I'm just scratching my head. I'm. I can't believe it's rallied the way it has lately. So. Yeah. Now they're pricing in some type of recovery. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> um, Who knows? All right, dude. Well, thank you very much for uh, for chatting with me and sharing. Uh, awesome conversation, and I look forward to staying in touch with you uh, in the coming months and checking in. Absolutely, buddy. Good to be on and uh, good to catch up. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. All right, see ya. Thanks, Rob. Hey, everyone. It's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort Podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.